Blog Talk Radio. Radio. This is your co-host, Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com and Scout.com, and I'm joined as always by Thomas Watts, our uh, he's kind of like our executive producer and engineer and studio guy, and he's uh, behind the scenes working to make this thing happen. Duct he's tape and bailing wire. Duct yeah, tape and bailing wire. it is. Uh, Jerry rigging. And uh, cyber Jerry rigging. And Thomas is down in Mobile. He works with Touchdown Alabama Magazine. Hour two, uh, we'll be joined by Drudy Armand of ESPN 977 The Zone. And uh, later this hour, we'll be joined by William Redfish Barger, former Alabama offensive lineman. Next hour, we'll hear an interview Drew did with Chris Lowe uh, of ESPN. And also, uh, we're going to hear from Coach Mike Quinneville, who stepped down as coach of the Alabama hockey team. He's going to join us at 830 Central. But first, things first. I was so happy when Alabama announced just minutes before showtime tonight, for those of you who are listening live, that is, the rosters for A-Day. I was really curious, and that curiosity has been uh, satiated and satisfied. I was curious to know how they were going to do the quarterbacks. Well, prior to the release of the rosters at his press conference after practice today, Coach Saban said that the quarterbacks have not separated themselves uh, and the competition is ongoing. That's pretty much what we hear every spring unless we have a returning starter like A.J. McCarron. But what they did was this, and I'm going to give you some of the highlights of the roster announcement, but let me start off by saying that the first offense and second defense are on the Crimson team. The second offense and first defense are on the white team. And this is all in advance of A-Day, Saturday afternoon, Bryant-Denny Stadium, 2 o'clock, uh, the action will start at the BAMS radio tent at 10 a.m., but 2 o'clock is when the actual game is at Bryant-Denny. Uh, so, without further ado, Cooper Bateman and David Cornwell are kind of the finalists for the quarterback job. Well, he didn't split them up. He kept them both on the same team. 
They will both run with the first offense Saturday uh, against the first defense, which is good. But Cooper Bateman and David Cornwell will be the quarterbacks for the Crimson team. Therefore, Blake Barnett and Jalen Hurts will run the white team. So fans will get a chance to see all four guys and fans that haven't seen a scrimmage yet or haven't been able to judge by what they read on the Internet or heard on BAM, they'll be able to make their own determinations, either live or on ESPN at 2 o'clock Saturday. So continuing on that theme, the, the, the people, uh, the key names, the names you know who will run with the first offense are Rob Foster, Calvin Ridley, uh, Hootie Jones. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's still defense. First offense, Bo Scarborough. Uh, mentioned Cornwell, Ardarius Stewart, uh, Cooper Bateman, mentioned him. Uh, let's see. Continuing on. Uh, oh, Torrin Marks. Uh, that's the brother of Xavier Marks. Uh, we're going to get to the line here. Into, oh, okay. Jacob Park will be one of the tight ends. Uh, Christian Miller will be on the linebacker. We're going to get back and do the second defense later because a lot of these players are, are defensive players, and I'm trying to get you down to the people. Oh, Lester Cotton. Look for Lester to be at left guard. Um, and Ross Pierce-Barker will be the center. Uh, Jonah Williams is probably the right tackle for Saturday. The left tackle is likely Corey Curvin. And uh, the other guard, let's see, Brandon Kennedy. So basically your first offensive line uh, heading at the end of spring training, left to right, is Corin Curvin, who's in for Cam Robinson. The left guard, and really he's nailed this job down, is Lester Cotton. The center, Ross Pierce-Baker, he's nailed that down. You all know Cam will be the left tackle. Right guard is an ongoing competition, but thus far through now three scrimmages, Brandon Kennedy has held off returning starter Alphonse Big Shank Taylor. Uh, he'll run with the twos at right guard. We'll get to the twos later. Uh, but you know, so and your right tackle is going to be Jonah Williams. That's your starting five offensive linemen. Now let me get on down to the white team because that's who's going to give you your first defense. Uh, Eddie Jackson is on there. That makes a lot of sense. Deshaun Hand, Reuben Foster, Ronnie Harrison, um, and uh, Sean Dion Hamilton, uh, Maurice Smith, Ryan Anderson, Marlon Humphrey, Minka Fitzpatrick. See a pattern here. This is the first defense. Um, one surprise uh, on offense will be, at first, Coach Saban had said Damian Harris would run on the same team with Bo Scarborough, but that has changed. He is going to be running with the second offense for the purposes of this scrimmage. But uh, back to the defense, uh, we continue to look uh, for the starters. Dalvin Tomlinson is one. Tim Williams is one. So you can kind of see a pattern there. Um, and Let's see, it's pretty much it for the defense. So that, that was the first defense. The decision was made, even though uh, they're, you know, they're probably going to run some base defense in this game, this scrimmage. And when they run the base, Sean John Hamilton indeed does start along with Ruben Foster, as he will on this, uh, this white team. But when they run the nickel, in regular season anyway, you'll see Rashawn Evans most likely linebacker. But Rashawn, uh, in, you know, to, to get a full game of playing time in at inside linebacker, he will run with the twos uh, for the purposes of this scrimmage. So let's go back and, and get back on and give you uh, the second team uh, defense that's going to be on the Crimson team. Um, go, uh, Hootie Jones will be one of the safeties. Tony Brown 
will be a defensive back on that second team. Kendall Sheffield will be. Uh, Deontay Thompson as a safety. Uh, Adonis Thomas is a linebacker on that defense. Uh, and there are some names on this roster that I haven't even seen on RollTide.com, so it's always fun on A-Day to figure out who some of the walk-ons are. You don't know. We'll get into that later. Sean Burgess-Becker will run with the twos as a safety. Uh, Anthony Averett at, as a corner. So that tells you they're going to play a lot of base. Because when they go to nickel, Averett goes to corner and uh, Mika goes to nickel. But they're going to run a lot of base apparently this week. Uh, Rashawn Evans, as I mentioned, he'll be on there. Anthony Jennings will be one of the outside linebackers. Uh, Johnny Dwight on the D-line uh, will continue to go down. Keith Holcomb as one of the linebackers. Uh, Christian Miller, one of the linebackers. So that, that's, uh, you know, this is telling you who the second defense is. Uh, Makai Brown and Christian Bell will also see time, but they'll probably be backups for the scrimmage. Uh, Ryan Paris is listed as a snapper, which lets me know he's a friend of his show. And he may get some time, although we know Cole Mazza will take most of the real snaps this year. Uh, but, you know, it's a good sign. Uh, looking on down, as, oh, uh, as far as the uh, – the oh, Josh Frazier is on the second defense for the purposes of this scrimmage, which makes sense. He's basically a backup. He's having to play in the spring, but his true position is nose guard. Um, let's see, O.J. Smith, he'll be the, the, the nose guard on that team. And so, uh, and uh, that team has Adam Griffith, but you, you can be pretty uh, sure that Adam Griffith will do all the kicking. Uh, as, as far as uh, the holding goes for kicks, they, you know, the starting holder is still Cooper Bateman. He's Adam's holder, but uh, Cornwell is, is is the backup quarterback on the Crimson team, and he'll also be the backup holder. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they do the kick returning uh, because Calvin Ridley. Uh, you know, he's going to be on the uh, Crimson team with the first offense. And on the white team is Xavier Marks. So that's probably how they're going to do that. One will return punch and kickoffs for one, and one will return punch and kickoffs for the other. Uh, don't expect a lot of contact, if any, on those plays, though, especially with the ball carriers. Very doubtful that there will be any live tackling on that. Uh, the backup kicker, uh, you know, for purposes of the scrimmage anyway, is going to be Gunnar Rayburn. Uh, but here's an interesting fact for those of you who are fans of the Alabama softball program, and I promise you I have a point here. The uh, backup kicker on the backup kicking unit, in other words, the third kicker, is a gentleman who is a walk-on who has not prior been seen on rosters. His name is Phillips Brooks. Well, who is Phillips Brooks, and why in the heck is Kerry talking about him? Well, I'm talking about him because his girlfriend is one of the best softball players on campus. Her name is Chandler Dare. Uh, she's not fit by trade, but she's having to play second base in the absence of Jimmy Moore. So I have been told that Phillips had walked on the team and made it as a kicker, but he never showed up on any RollTide.com rosters. But he is wearing number 97 for this 8 day scrimmage. So, uh, you know, and Deron Payne also, I meant to mention him. Now, as far as a backup tight end goes, that would be Miller Forstall. So that's, that's good to see that. Uh, there's also a lot of other new names at receiver and tight end that I've never seen before. But um, Brandon Green and Miller Forstall will run as tight end and H-back for the uh, the fight team, which tells you that Hale Hinkins and O.J. Howard will be on the uh, the starting offense on the Crimson team. So it's really great that we got all this, you know, done in order, you know, to get it on the show tonight. 
the whole thing was I was wondering up until about 10 till 7 if we were going to have rosters to talk about tonight, and now we do. So uh, let me tell you who shapes up to be the backup offensive line, which is the white team offensive line. You're looking at uh, Matt Womack and Charles Baldwin as tackles, and you're looking at uh, the center uh, as, as being J.C. Hassenauer, which that's not too hard to figure out. Big Shank, though, uh, who started all 15 games last year, is backup right guard. And uh, the backup left tackle will be Charles Baldwin. Uh, the, uh, that, that's just an interesting situation. The other backup guard right now, and a guy who can sub at every position on the team, really, and so he's such a valuable guy to have, is Bradley Bozeman. So that's your second offensive line. So now we know who we, – we, we thought we knew all this after seeing the scrimmages, but, uh, but you know, I saw one and some other people saw the one this past week. And uh, in about uh, 10 or 12 minutes, we're going to be joined by William Barger, who knows a lot of people that saw the second scrimmage. So uh, we'll have some commentary from him on that and also get his thoughts on, on the offensive line. But um, anywho, uh, that's kind of how things are shaping up for A-Day. Uh, and I wanted to reemphasize something I said earlier. The BAMS radio tent will be uh, going on at its normal place uh, at the across the street from the quad, uh, right there in front of Moore Hall. And uh, Big Head Chuck will be there. I'm not sure what the food situation is, but he'll be there. And it's going to be a tribute to Greg Calhoun, Bama Bird, the founder of this show. And uh, all of his friends that can make a day are going to be at that tent. And that thing is going to go from like 10 to 6 Saturday. Uh, I'm going to try to get there by 10 because of things like parking and other things that are going on at a day. But we want to make sure that you understand that uh, the, the tent is going on. If you're a Bams Radio fan and you're used to tailgating at that tent, it's going to happen at a day this week. I can't speak to the future of it down the road as far as the regular season this fall, but we're definitely going to have it. Uh, this week, and it'll start at 10, and it's probably going to go to around 5.30 or 6. So that's something that uh, we thought you might be interested in. And uh, also, you know, I'm, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the other things that are going on uh, on campus Saturday. There's a lot of things going on inside and outside the stadium. Uh, you know, the gates will open at 11 a.m., it's free admission. Uh, the Mercedes-Benz Fan Fest will take place starting at 8, and that's open to the public outside the north end zone, corner of University Boulevard and Wallace Way. Here's an interesting thing. They don't do this every single year, but it's fun to watch when they do do it. Uh, at around 1130, inside Bryant-Dean Stadium, a reason to get there early, if you please, will be an alumni flag football game that features former Alabama players. And it's going to be two 20-minute halves. It should be over around 12:15. Then at 12:15, over by Denny Chimes, head coach Nick Saban and 2016 captains Jake Coker, Derrick Henry, Ryan Kelly, and Reggie Ragland will speak to the crowd and then have their hand and cleat prints put in the concrete outside Denny Chimes, as is the case with all captains at Bama. Uh, the Walk of Champions will be at 12:50 p.m. when the team buses arrive at Bryant Denny. Uh, there will be a special pregame video featuring some of the great moments of the Coach Saban era because this is his 10th A-Day. When he was hired 10 years ago, you wouldn't have found many people, including yours truly, that thought he'd be there 10 years. I was hoping for seven. 
Uh, most people were guessing five. We're coming up on year 10. Now, Alabama Heisman Trophy winners Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry will be on hand for A-Day, and the Heisman Trophy Trust will present Alabama with the program's copy of Derrick Henry's 2015 trophy. Halftime Entertainment will feature the Alabama Quarterback Challenge uh, with former Crimson Tide signal callers from the last 10 years. And uh, this goes back as far as John Parker Wilson and goes all the way, you know, through Greg. I do not believe Greg McElroy is participating, but um, I understand that there will be several other quarterbacks participating in that, including Blake Sims and I believe Jake Coker. So that'll be fun to watch that. and eight-day posters featuring Coach Saban and 10 Crimson Tide greats during the last 10 years will be given out to the first 12,500 fans. And um, so basically, uh, after the game, Coach Saban will present the spring awards, and there's a lot of them, to the uh, players at midfield. And once the team has cleared the field for the third straight year at eight day all fans will have post-game field access Fans can enter the field through any of the four corner gates. That's a good, great time to take pictures by the goalpost, that kind of thing. Well, what the heck's going on with parking? Um, well, public parking for eight days is free and first come, first serve with Crimson Ride shuttles running from the east side of campus to the quad. Um, also, the Amway Coaches Trophy will be on display for fans to take pictures with at that fan fest I mentioned earlier, uh, just outside the, uh, the north end zone. There will be activities going on throughout Tuscaloosa and the Alabama campus on the whole weekend. The baseball teams hosted Ole Miss Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. First two games were sold out. Uh, tickets do remain for Sunday, however. Um, country music artist Chris Young will throw out the first pitch on uh, Friday night prior to his 7.30 concert at the Tuscaloosa Amphitheater. Uh, the men's tennis team is hosting Vanderbilt in their regular season finale on Sunday at the UA Tennis Stadium. And uh, even though they're not in town this week, the softball team is at Texas A&M. And uh, so that's what's going on with them. Uh, we were hoping to hear from our uh, regular call to Big C, but I guess he didn't call this week. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell Thomas. Yeah, there's a decided lack of Big C right now. <laughs> okay. And I know that breaks your heart. Uh, but Into a Tom- million pieces. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, I mean, he, he had his chance. He blew it. Uh, probably has something going on at home. It's no problem. But, Thomas, if you want to go ahead and start working Redfish, that'll be fine. Uh, he was going to come on in about two minutes anyway. So uh, we'll get William Redfish Barger on here to join me because I know you are sick of hearing me talk for 18 minutes in a row. And I don't really it's an excellent you. soliloquy, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're trying to find people on, on, a, on a roster that's dotted with a lot of walk-ons. <laughs> but it's, it's I mean, it's, it's an, it, it, it is a, even though it is an acquired skill, it is an excellent skill to have. So, well yeah. done. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I got three degrees in broadcasting, brother. Two from our <laughs> beloved University of Alabama and one from the U.S. Military Defense Information School. So, well, there you go. Yep. Uh, I don't have a doctorate, but I have three degrees in broadcasting. So I know a little bit about this stuff. And ad-libbing is one of the most important things. Uh, in broadcasting. Uh, but like I say, we'll be joined in a few minutes by William Redfish Barger to talk a little more football. We'll be joined next hour by Drew and also Drew's recorded interview with Chris Lowe of ESPN. And then at the, the bottom Chris of the Lowe interview, sorry, the Chris Lowe interview corrupted. I, I'm not going to be able to get it to work. We're going to have to run it next You week. will get uh, Carrie and Drew interviewing each other. Yes, uh, that. And maybe, and, and maybe we can even, uh, you know, get some people to call into the show. Uh, I think some people are going to try to call in while Coach Quinneville is on. 
maybe some of his former players or whatever, but he's going to be with us from 8.30 till, uh, well, as long as we take to talk to him. But Coach Q did a lot of great things for Alabama hockey, and we're going to go over some of those things at 8.30 Central when he calls us live here on BAMS Radio. We, he has always been great to this show, and uh, we'll have to get Coach Q to hook us up with his uh, successor, whose last name I cannot currently pronounce, but um, he did retweet the fact that we're interviewing Coach, so apparently the successor knows about BAMS, so that's a good thing. Uh, let me talk a little bit about while Thomas works Redfish. Uh, we will talk a little bit more about some of the other sports. The Alabama softball team is, is doing great. I was able to cover the Sunday game when they completed the three-game weekend sweep of Mississippi State. That was excellent. Uh, got to see a lot of good folks at that game, including a, a co-worker whose daughter plays for State. That was pretty cool. But uh, they're, uh, since then, have already played and won another game. Uh, on their way to Texas A&M, they stopped by the beautiful hamlet of Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and proceeded to destroy Southern Miss Tuesday night. So things are going well, and they're ranked uh, – they're ranked fourth this week, so hats off to the Alabama softball team. Um, caps, tipped, all that. They will be in College Station, Texas all weekend. The Alabama baseball team is not currently ranked, but they did get a pretty good win over UAB uh, this past Tuesday night. Um, and that was good to see. Uh, it took some charity by UAB to beat them 7-6. to six. Uh, a, a poorly misplayed ball by the outfielder that they was very generally scored a triple but Alabama won the game 76. That's the bottom line. They got their 20th victory of the season against 13 losses. And the reason they have 13 losses is they lost two out of three in Lexington over the weekend. They did salvage one game on Sunday uh, with Nick Ockholtz, a brilliant pitching performance, and Thomas Burroughs, a dominant save. Uh, so that was good to see them win 2-1 to one in Lexington Sunday. But they had excellent chances to win the first two ball games of that series and could not, uh, couldn't close the deal either day. So they're not ranked, uh, but they do have a winning record. They have an even record in the conference, but they have a winning record at 20 and 13. And they've got Ole Miss this weekend at home, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. There are a few tickets remaining for Sunday's game. The first two games or series are sold out at the new Joe, and I'm planning on scooting over there after a day, uh, after recording Coach Saban's comments and uh, writing that up for a couple of folks, uh, primarily BamaMag.com who uh, is kind enough to provide me access to the football games and the football team. Uh, I will make a pledge to the uh, listeners tonight. I will not photobomb Nick Saban after the A-Day game. You have my word. And, uh, wow, it looks like we may have been just now joined by Drew, and I think that Drew is here just in time uh, to help us with William Redfish Barger. But I'll go ahead and introduce William, because I'm not sure Drew's audio is going yet. Uh, welcome to BAMS Radio, uh, William Redfish Barger. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. Hey, Terry. How you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good. I just got through giving a uh, uh, an analysis of the rosters and how they were split up for A-Day. Uh, and, you know, thus far, William, and, and, and Drew, I, I hear Drew. Yep, I'm here. I think he might be at the mall or something, but he's with us. Uh, I'm uh, at a restaurant, but we're rolling. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Well, you sound great. You must have taken your uh, audio set with you, your links. That's cool. You sound good, Drew. Uh, well, I'm, I'll go ahead and ask the first question to William, and then I'll let you take it from there, Drew. William, when I announced the rosters a few minutes ago, it was quite clear that the starting right guard on the Crimson team, which is the first offense, is Brandon Kennedy for this scrimmage. 
And that's the third scrimmage in a row that Brandon Kennedy has run with the ones at the right guard and not Shank Taylor. So, But Shank is the starting right guard for the second offense this week. Uh, is this a little bit surprising to you that this, this uh, Kennedy over Taylor thing has lasted the entire spring, William? Well, Terry, you do me a favor because I, you know, I've been uh, doing busy doing a bunch of stuff all afternoon. Was there any surprises the way the roster? Because I haven't seen them. Was there any surprises to you with the way the roster was split up? I mean, is it the, you know, the, the a little bit, we, William, uh, a little bit because they put both of the two guys in contention for quarterback on the same team, which is very fair to David and and, and Cooper. They're both running with the ones. That means that Blake and Jalen are going to run with the twos all day, which is fine. That's more reps for all the four guys, and they'll be able to give a, a better judgment. I thought they might put uh, Cornwell with the twos, but they did not do it that way. Coach Saban dropped a hint earlier in the week that he was going to run Bo and, and Damien on the same team, but when the rosters came out, Bo was with the Crimson and Damien was with the White. That surprised me a little bit. Uh other than that, no, William. Uh, the first offensive line, left to right, is, is is kind of what we saw at the scrimmage. It's Corn Curve and at left tackle, who's the place he's just holding the place for Cam. The the left guard is Lester Cotton, as you duly noted last week with us. The center uh, is still Ross Pierce The right guard for Saturday with the first offense is Brandon Kennedy, and the right tackle is Jonah Williams, who I know you love. On the second offense, William, the left tackle is Charles Baldwin. Uh, the left guard is Bradley Bozeman. The center is J.C. Hassenauer. The right guard is Big Shank Taylor. And I believe, if I'm looking at the rosters correctly, the right tackle is Matt Bomack. Okay. So um, that's uh, there that was a little bit of surprise to me also, William, in that they did not put Rashawn Evans with the ones, which means one of two things. Uh, they're either going to run a lot of base this Saturday and not as much nickel because they did not put Anthony Averett with the ones either, William. But, you know, I guess they're just going to run a lot of four DBs this week is all I can get from that. Well, I think that, you know, the first thing that I want to see Saturday is, you know, just how much um, I've got a sneaking suspicion because the quarterback battle is still ongoing um, that you might see a little bit of a pass-heavy scrimmage. Um, I'm glad that they split Bo and Damian up. Uh, for that very reason, I just I've got a sneaking suspicion that the the touches um, are going to be a little bit limited in the running game. Um, but thank you for the update on on the rosters. Um, I still think that that there's a strong possibility because um, I know there's a desire there for them to move Minka back to nickel. Um, that, that they're 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 still in a wait and see type pattern as far as Averett's concerned with the possibility of him maybe taking over that first-team spot at the other corner opposite of Marlin. Uh, but to answer your question about Brandon Kennedy, um, the fact that he is that first-team right guard um, doesn't necessarily surprise me as much as their willingness to remove him um, from the position that he played all the way through high school, which was center. Um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, I got some – some good updates from some of my high school coaching buddies that were at the clinic for three days last week. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that they're very, you know, high on. Um, you know, he's got very strong hands, you know, gets leverage on people. Um, so, you know, the fact that he's running first team 
um, doesn't necessarily surprise me. The fact that he's at right guard does a little bit. But, um, you know, we've talked about this before. Um, you know, when they brought Brent Key in, I thought you might see a little bit of a shakeup um, with how he approaches things versus how Mario does them. You know, Mario's a, a ground-and-pound type guy. If it was up to Mario, they'd run the ball 50 times a game. That's just the, the his mentality. You know, he believes in mashing people. And I wanted to kind of see how, you know, that marriage up there, you know, took place. And, and from everything that I heard, um, you know, from my buddy, the buddies that are the high school coaches that were at the coaching clinic last week, they were very impressed with Brent. They said he's a high energy. Uh, you know, they kind of compared him to Scott Cochran, you know, in a sense that, you know, he's very boisterous, um, which I think is a good thing. So, you know, they've got two high-energy guys there, um, you know, coaching the, the five spots, well, actually the six spots if you want to throw in the tight end position. Um, I think that's a good thing. But, uh, you know, I, I'm a big believer in, uh, you know, your position is never safe. Competition makes you better. You know, you either rise to the occasion and uh, excel or, or you wilt like a piece of brown lettuce and, and slide backwards. And, uh, you know, I think they've proven that they're going to put the five best guys on the field. And, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, other than Corin Curvin at left tackle, obviously, um, I think what you're going to see Saturday is going to be the offensive line that goes into summer camp um, as the starters. And it's going to be Brandon Kennedy at right guard and Jonah Williams at right tackle. Um, I, I do think that Corin Curvin, and I was talking with Drew about this on his radio show on Tuesday. Uh, I, I do think that Corin Curvin has kind of emerged as maybe a, a wild card. Um, I'll be real interested to see. Obviously, um, you know, when Cameron Robinson comes back this summer full speed, um, he's going to be the left tackle. Uh, but I, I do think Corin Curvin has proven to be a, a valuable member of that unit. Um, and I foresee them sliding him back over there to right tackle and, you know, putting him into direct competition with Jonah Williams. And I think that might prove to be interesting. And, William, I, I think it very, very, very well be interesting. Is also, I think Corin Curvin has kind of been one of those guys that's one of the, the uh, surprises of uh, spring practice. And I know I, I don't think uh, these two guys are going to be um, starting this year and, and playing big-time roles, but I do think they've proven themselves enough, uh, one on offense and one on defense, to, to show they're going to be a factor in 2017. But a couple of guys we haven't really talked about on my show too much, uh, talking ball, and of course here on BAM's radio, I wanted you to kind of talk about uh, two guys that have excited me when they were in the recruiting class. One, of course, uh, was in the 2000. Uh, in 15 class and redshirted last year, and that's Deontay Thompson, who's really started to showcase some ability at safety. And then, of course, this guy was an early enrollee. I, I, I championed him from the moment, moment he committed, and I watched some film and found out about his background. But Miller Forrestall, who I think has a chance to kind of follow in the footsteps of Hale Hinges, and when O.J. Howard moves on to the NFL following this season, he and Hinches could be quite a combination at the tight end spot. Yeah, Drew, that was one of the, the first people that, uh, you know, my high school coaching buddies mentioned to me, you know, because they, they were there. They got to see practice on Friday, um, you know, spent a lot of time with the staff and were at the scrimmage on Saturday. And 
that was one of the first names that they mentioned to me was, you know, hey, uh, you know, the kid needs to eat. He needs to gain some weight. Um, but, you know, this this four-stall kid's the real deal. And I think, you know, people may not know this. You know, up until his senior year, he was a high school quarterback. Um, and, and so, you know, he, he's kind of new to the position. So he's a an athlete that's kind of um, – trying to learn a new position. I mean, you look at it, you know, he's at the highest level of college football, um, you know, as an early enrollee, and he's really only into his second year of, of learning that position. Um, you know, do I, do I expect him to factor in this year, you know, at the tight end or the H-back position? Um, I think he probably has done enough this spring if he can carry it over into the fall. Um, you know, maybe he does get some reps, um, you know, from everybody that I've talked to. Um, he's been a standout in, in practices and in the scrimmages. So, although he's a little bit like the britches, uh, and I think he'll be a better player once he has, you know, a full calendar year under his belt, a strength and conditioning program, he, he's shown flashes to where, you know, kind of like Jalen Hurts has a quarterback, you know, probably needs to red shirt, but, you know, might have just enough natural ability to where if they can carry it over, you know, into fall camp, you might see them find a role on the team, whether it's on special teams or, um, you know, if there's some injuries that take place. You know, it's always good to have a, you know, a trump card in your back pocket at a position like that. Um, you know, the, the other stuff, um, the two guys that I think, you know, I've had floated to me uh, by my high school coaching friends um, that they came away from the scrimmage with back there in the back end of the defense that the coaching staff has been really, really pleased with. Um, you mentioned them, Drew, is Deontay Thompson, and, and the other one is Anthony Avery. And, and I think, you know, Thompson, I think both guys are kind of in the same situation. You know, they were both um, two-way stars in high school. Um, you know, Thompson, you know, was kind of evaluated as a guy that could be a, you know, wide receiver or a safety in college. Um, he's played both since he's been at Alabama. Uh, you know, Anthony Averett was basically a wildcat quarterback in high school up in New Jersey and, and a track star to boot. I mean, he's one of the fastest guys on the team. And, but I think they've kind of left both of them alone and at one position long enough now where the light's starting to come on for both of them. I do think there is a um, a sense of urgency from the, the defensive coaching staff where they've already made the decision that they want Minka Fitzpatrick to move back to nickel. So they've got to find that, you know, that, that next guy that can play the corner opposite of Marlin. You know, obviously with the, you know, the suspension that, that Tony Brown's got to serve out, he's not going to be the guy. So, you know, they've got to find that other corner. And I think, obviously, Anthony Averitt has done enough this spring that, that leads the staff to believe that, you know, with, you know, the seven-on-seven seven and the conditioning program this summer plus all the reps he's going to get by August, there, there's a strong possibility, you know, versus USC and Dallas in a few months, he could be that guy. William, uh, I know that you had a lot of spies at the scrimmage this past Saturday. Drew and I were there the first one, and we kind of shared with you what we saw there, but we, we were not there for this past one. Tell me what some of your friends, be they high school coaches, Letterman, whatever they may have been, told you that stood up to them about the second scrimmage. 
Um, you know, it was kind of like what you'd get from anybody, except, you know, these guys do this for a living, even though it's not at the, the collegiate level, it's at the high school level. Um, you know, I, I think probably more so than their observations, you know, the best stuff that I got from them was what the coaching staff shared with them in private. Um, you know, because, you know, high school coaches are, you know, the relationships that, that the, you know, the coaches at Alabama at all colleges kind of feed on, you know, that's where the, the players come from. You know, they do share stuff with them. And it's not a lot different than what you've read or heard elsewhere. Um, you know, they both felt like that, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts is the real deal and is possibly the future um, at the quarterback position. You know, maybe not this year, um, but there's a good chance he might be two years from now, or, or excuse me, in 2017. Um, they were a little bit divided on the quarterbacks. Um you know, one of them thought that Bateman did better. The other one thought Cornwell did better. And, you know, I've got to preface that by saying, uh, you know, one of them actually runs a zone read offense. And so he's a little bit more prejudiced towards Cooper Bateman and Jalen Hurts versus the, you know, the pro-style guy and Cornwell. But they were both in agreement. You know, n- nothing new that you don't already know, that Cornwell's got the best arm talent out of all of them. Um, sadly enough, you know, like you've read and heard about that you saw with your own two eyes. Um, they were both in agreement at, at, at how lost and um, frustrated that Blake Barnett looked. I mean, he, he did not have a, a another good performance. So, you know, he's basically been scratched from the competition for the spring. He's going to have to hit the reset button in August if he wants to jump back into this thing. In fact, they both felt like Jalen Hurts, um, you know, should be number three. One of them actually thought he should be number two, but, you know, they they were both in agreement that out of the four, um, you know, Barnett's bringing up the rear at this stage. Um, you know, but they both were, uh, you know, giving our buddy Bo Scarborough a lot of love. Um, you know, they were both amazed at Jonah Williams. Um, and, and, you know, we we talked a long time about, about that. And, and I kind of, you know, told this to them and I've, I've said it to some other people you know when, when you when you try and put this into perspective about just how talented and how much upside Jonah Williams has he's come to the University of Alabama when they're probably the most loaded at the offensive line position that the program's ever been you know in the 30 years that I've been keeping up with it you know, obviously, Kerry, you're a little bit longer in the tooth than I am and um, have kept up with it a little bit longer. But th- this is how I've tried to explain it to him. Um, when Chris Samuels came to Alabama, and he's obviously one of the best offensive tackles to ever play at Alabama, um, and if you ever get a chance to talk to Joe Prendry in private, he'll tell you that Chris Samuels is the best offensive tackle he ever coached in the NFL. But Chris Samuels was not capable of starting for the University of Alabama at left tackle or right tackle as a true freshman. And Jonah Williams is. And I think that's the best way I can put it into perspective for, you know, you guys and the listeners. I mean, this is something very, very special that's kind of unfolding before all of our eyes. Um, you know, and you've got another guy, you know, Lester Cotton, um, 
you know, had he not come to Alabama last year, um, you know, I think he's a guy that during any other time period would have been capable of playing as a true freshman. He's that good. Um, you know, I'm I'm extremely excited about the the move of uh, hell. I still call him Pierce Pierce Foster. I know his real name is Pierce Baker. Um, sorry, I just had a truck roll by. But but I think what they've done that's what makes me so excited about the the Brent Key Mario Cristobal marriage is they took a guy that played at a pretty decent level as a true freshman last year at left guard. But I think it was obvious if you watched him play and critiqued his play that, that he's not a mauler. Um, he's more of an athlete, you know, in the same mold as, as Ryan Kelly and, and Barrett Jones. Um, more of an athlete and a technician. I think he's a very cerebral player. But he's never going to be somebody at center or guard just like Kelly and just like Barrett Jones that can line up and knock a 325-pound defensive tackle five yards off the ball. What he can do is use his athleticism to get up to the second level, just like Kelly and Barrett Jones, and and get a hat on the linebacker. Um, Because he's so smart, he can put the O-line in the right position to, uh, you know, make calls at the line of scrimmage. And I just think it's a great move because they've they've moved him from a place that I don't think he was ever going to excel at. He could survive and be a very good starter. But that just wasn't, you know, his bailiwick over there. And so they've moved him to center, got a mauler in Lester Cotton at left guard uh, that's going to be playing next to the best left tackle in college football in Cameron Robinson. Um, You've got a guy that, that is a mauler in Brandon Kennedy, um, that's starting at right guard. And you've got, in my opinion, I mean, I'm throwing Greg Little into this as well uh, because I thought Jonah Williams was better than Greg Little last year when they were both being recruited. Um, and you've got a guy over there at right tackle that's got an opportunity to be three or four years down the road uh, one of the best that's ever been in Tuscaloosa at that position in Jonah Williams. And speaking of the trenches, William, I agree with everything you said about the offensive line. Now, uh, the defensive line is, a, is an area that I think they, they feel good that they've got about six guys that can play, but I think they would like to um, find a, a two or three more to add to the rotation. We've talked a little bit about Quinn and Williams. We know how high you are on him. He'll be a true freshman from Winona High School who will be there in May. And then Jamar King, he, Coach Saban, when he signs Juco's, I know we could see for the first time every, uh, uh, Charles Baldwin perhaps redshirt, though I doubt it. He'll probably end up getting some playing time, at least as a backup. But Jamar King has been brought into play and be thrown into the mix. And now they're being mentioned heavily with Josiah Codney. Just kind of talk about the D-line, where you think it is. Uh, I think they still need at least one more end. And I'm still thinking that by the fall, because he could be 280 by then, that we may see another freshman, Anthony Jennings, uh, with his hand in the dirt. And uh, he won't start, of course, but I think he's going to be good enough uh, in another four months where he could be in the rotation at defensive end. What are your thoughts? Totally agree with everything that you said. I'm going to throw another name out there, depending on um, what they can do with his body when he shows up at the end of May through August. I think you could see Terrell Hall in that same category as well. 
Great point. Um, you know, I think it's a situation where, um, and I, I thought uh, ESPN's Chris Lowe, you know, put it in perspective in the last couple of days after all the time he spent down there interviewing Nick Saban and watching practice. You know, he put a tweet out that said, um, you know, Alabama just reloads on defense. You know, the next wave of talent. You know, Deshaun Hand, Deron Payne, Christian Miller, Minka Fitzpatrick, Ronnie Harris. Um, but but as it you know pertains to you know the specific question that you asked, um, I think where the concern may or may not pop up is is against run heavy teams like LSU and Arkansas. I don't think there'll be any drop off at all versus spread teams because you know John Allen can change your can can change direction. Um, you saw how well Deshaun Hand did um, in relief versus Clemson. Um, you know Ryan Anderson is a guy that, that you know can, can play defensive end if it came down to it. Um, I just don't see the concern there that a lot of people do. Yeah, did they have eight guys last year versus six right now? Um, like you just said, they're they're at six right now, um, but that could change dramatically this summer different areas you know you touched on Quentin Williams and Jamar King um but you know what if uh Josh Frazier takes that next step or Raekwon Davis shows up ready to play or you know Kendall Jones you know sheds 40 pounds and, and he's ready to go um then all of a sudden you can shift Deron Payne out there to, def- to def- defensive end versus the run heavy teams you know there's still too many moving parts to say yay or nay on all this stuff, but there's still the possibility of it all coming into shape and then being right back in the same situation that they were this past season. William, there's a ton of recruits coming to A-Day, as is the case every year. There's at least 50, and it's like a star list. And Some of them are already committed to Alabama, but the majority of them are not. I wanted to ask your opinion about a couple of these guys who are visiting this week but are not yet committed to Alabama. Uh, we'll start off with a five-star offensive tackle, Isaiah Wilson, out of uh, Brooklyn. You know, the the, the distance factor, um, you know, Kerry always concerns me. Um, you know, for every Blake Barnett or, or Jonah Williams, um, you know, I can show you guys that – you know, like Nico Warren from last year, um, you know, that decided to stay at home and, and not go that far away. Uh, great player. Uh, I mean, and Alabama's, you know, got the luxury of, of being in on, you know, a ton of great offensive linemen this year specifically. It's a great year for offensive tackles. Um, you know, they've already got a guy that Pinion should have been a five-star two years ago and Alex Leatherwood. He dominates everybody that he goes up against, every combine that he goes to. Um, you know, they've got a guy up in Madison, Alabama, Austin Troxel, um, that I feel like is a little bit undervalued. Um, maybe right now, he, he's, you know, especially after the knee injury last year, I couldn't go out on a limb and say that I've seen five-star ability out of him up to this point. But when you look at the fact that he's 6'7", you know, closing in on 310 pounds right now. I mean, I saw a picture of him from today standing next to Reggie Ragland. And, uh, you know, it looked like he was standing next to Nick Saban. Um, He's just a monster. 
I, I do think he's got five-star upside. Um, but there's just a lot of them out there. Um, you know, they got to decide. I think probably, um, you know, starting Friday, tomorrow, um, you know, we're, we're going to be in the, the May evaluation period. Um, I don't know how far away from campus the coaches can get to with A-Day and all the stuff that's going on with that. But certainly Monday, um, they're going to spread out like a anthill that's been kicked over and scatter out and start going to watch kids and evaluate them in person. It's a, um, a real fluid, you know, time of the year, even though it only lasts for 30 days. You'll see a lot of offers pop up. You might see some commitments pop up. Um, so, you know, I think they, especially after what they did last year with Jonah Williams and Scott Lashley, um, you know, with Matt Womack showing that he's got some signs of, of one day being um, starter material at right tackle, I still think, um, even though Charles Baldwin may need a, a year, um, you know, that they've got him and he can all of a sudden pop up at any time when the light turns on. But they're in the catbird seat, so to speak, um, where offensive tackle is recruiting is concerned. There's just they got some great guys already on campus that are elite or have the potential to get there one day. And they're in on some guys, um, you know, that could turn out to be just as good as some of the other ones. And obviously, in my opinion, um, Alex Leatherwood is, is right there with, with a Jonah Williams as far as what he could be once he steps on campus. Um, if they can hang on to him, I think that's going to be a challenge. They've got a lot of negative recruiting uh, going on as far as other teams showing them that depth chart um, along the offensive line um, that's loaded for, for, for Bear. Um, but I think, you know, the two guys in this recruiting class that are already committed, that they've got to, you know, keep on board and keep in the fray, and it's going to be very difficult. Um, obviously, it's Najee Harris and Alex Leatherwood at offensive tackle. Quick follow-up uh, on the other side of the ball, in-state player visiting. I was quite impressed with him when I saw him four months ago playing at Bryant-Denny in the state championship. Tell us your thoughts on Ryan Johnson from St. Paul's defensive lineman. Uh, you broke up a little bit. Did you say Ryan Johnson? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, you know, I don't level um, as, as, say, a LeBron Ray is or, you know, the Allen kid from Louisiana that Alabama feels really good about their chances of getting. Uh, but I do think he's a guy that can end up, um, you know, being a, a good, really solid five-technique defensive end. Um, you know, if, if his body develops a little bit further, he could be a, you know, kind of a, you know, a guy that could play inside and slide down over an offensive guard, uh, but is still athletic enough to, you know, be a pass rusher from, from the defensive end spot. Um, you know, I think Alabama's in great position with him. Um, that's something that you'll probably see more and more going forward with Jeremy Pruitt being back on the scene and recruiting that Mobile to Jackson, Florida, Gulf Coast Territory. Um, you're going to see a, an increased emphasis on, on Mobile, Pensacola, um, you know, that, that really, really fruitful area that stretches from Tallahassee to Jacksonville. Um, just a ton of great football players that come out of that area. But, you know, I think that Ryan Johnson has emerged as a priority for the staff for this class. As You know, I, I think you're going to see them sign uh, – I would put the over-under number at seven 
and it would not surprise me if they took eight. And, William, I've got to ask you about a prospect because I've been uh, had some conversations on Twitter. I, I think people start to panic even 11 months before signing day. First, a week ago, it was to Darian Moultrie, and now that's the situation's kind of uh, turned around. I knew there was a long way to go. He's supposed to be in Tuscaloosa now instead of Athens, Georgia this weekend. Some even talking about he might even commit to Alabama now. We will see. But I've always felt like Alabama had a very good shot at the a linebacker from Jackson Olin. But another guy I want to ask you about, because there are reports that he might go to Georgia as well. But I know this kid is going to be a priority. Some think he's the number one player in the state, definitely top three. Tell me what your thoughts are about Nico Collins and where Alabama stands. I personally believe if they continue to make Collins a priority, they're in on a lot of great wide receivers, but that they're going to get Nico. Of course, they took T.J. Simmons last year. But just kind of give your thoughts on Nico Collins and where he may fit in on the board. Well, I think he's obviously a priority. I mean, he's a, you know, kind of a from a from a physical standpoint, he reminds me of AJ Green, the first round draft pick out of Georgia a few years ago. Um, you know, he's not a Julio Jones. I mean, he's not a, you know, a guy that runs a high four three forty and weighs two hundred and twenty five pounds. Uh, but you know, he's a legit, you know, high four five, low four six forty guy. Got extremely long arms, can provide separation against the DB because of that length. Um, I would be absolutely floored um, if he didn't end up at Alabama because of his family's relationship with with TJ Simmons and his family. Um, just you know, you know, six months ago everybody thought Auburn was his leader. Um, so you, you kind of have to you know, read between the lines with some of these kids. They they enjoy the attention. Um, you know, they don't like for people to think um, that they're a lock for one school. You know, if you become a lock, then all of a sudden the phone stops ringing and, you know, people stop paying you attention. Um, now, I will say this. I mean, the, the, the depth chart at wide receiver at Alabama uh, for at least the next two years with Calvin Ridley and Robert Foster and um, you know, some of the young guys, are, that's a bit of a challenge for the staff, you know, to overcome from a depth chart standpoint. They're going to get, you know, a lot of negative recruiting done on them from other schools. You know, hey, you can come here and play, um, you know, right away. You know, you're not going to go to Alabama, uh, Nico, and, and take reps away from Calvin Ridley and Robert Foster in 2017. But I do think, you know, having – T.J. Simmons at Alabama, who already kind of has started down the road of learning the lay of the land and how the program works and the process works and what's expected of you, um, it is a benefit. Um, you know, certainly, you know, in the last couple of years when you see what Amari Cooper put up statistically, you know, what Calvin put up last year statistically, it is a benefit and a plus for the staff. Um, you know, I still maintain and say, um, you know, as good as Garrett Dieter was last year at Bowling Green, it's going to be an uphill challenge for him. Um, you know, if he's good enough to, to, you know, knock one of those three guys, uh, you know, talking about our Darius Stewart, Calvin Ridley, and Robert Foster, if he's that good where he can take one of those guys' spots, uh, I already feel like Alabama, if you factor in O.J. Howard at the tight end position, I already feel like they have the best tight end and the best top three wide receivers in college football. But if this guy's good enough to take reps away from one of those top three, it's it's going to get ugly quick. Um, 
and that was one of the other things that I thought was interesting, Drew. I was talking to Kerry about, you know, some of these tweets that Chris Lowe has put out, um, you know, since he's been in Tuscaloosa. And uh, I thought the, 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 the information and, the, and actually the quote that he got from Nick Saban um, about the quarterback situation at Alabama post-A.J. McCarron was very telling. Um, you know, he went on record and kind of took some shots, in my opinion, at some programs that are quarterback dependent. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he, he, you know, very clearly stated that since AJ, um, they have not been a quarterback dependent program, and you've been able to see the results at what they've been able to do with being a lead on both sides of the line of scrimmage, and you know, like we've talked about with with this talent level that they've got at the skill positions, you know, both Scarborough, if he can stay healthy, has a chance of being an elite college running back this year. You know, the wide receivers and the, and the tight end position are loaded. Um, you know, if they can put the right five guys in position uh, along the offensive line, I'd be in the most prolific offense that Nick Saban has had since he's been at Alabama, regardless of who the quarterback is. And i got to tell you, William, I got a chance to speak to Chris Lowe this morning and expand on the quarterback situation. I asked him about Jalen Hurts, and he said uh, that Nick Saban – uh, just really uh, had opened up and said that he feels like the kid is really uh, progressing and coming along. And I asked Chris specifically at the end of the interview, I said, uh, Chris, the only place we haven't seen Nick Saban uh, play a freshman prominently is really in his time in Tuscaloosa and even at LSU is the quarterback position. Uh, and, I, and I said, do you think Jalen Hurts uh, has, a ch- has a chance uh, to to be to get on the field early or and then what kind of what do you see as his future basically and he said I think Nick Saban is going is 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 trending in that direction where uh, he's the kind of player that could play as a true freshman and I thought that was very interesting and I was talking to Wes Neighbors tonight on the drive and he was on the air and stated he believes uh, that Cooper Bateman will take the first snap against uh, Southern California, but that Jalen Hurts could end up taking the final one of the season. And I thought that was interesting. He even talked about what he saw at the, at the second scrimmage, that Jalen Hurts uh, already progressed from one scrimmage to the next, and he did some damage against the ones, and he was even checking off in certain situations because he's already getting comfortable mentally. That's saying a lot. Of course, we were gushing about Blake Barnett a year ago, but you talked, you, you've been vocal about how special you thought Hurts could be, and it looks like he's on that path. Well, Drew, I, regardless of Wes's opinion and my opinion, and you know, I was telling Gary uh, before, you know, Alan Evans and Sean Evans about how special he thinks Jalen Hurts could be, you know, whether it's this year or next year, but it's, it's sooner rather than later. All I, all I revert to is the fact that he's a true freshman quarterback. And, you know, Nick made the comment, you kind of have to take your hat off to the guy being a true freshman and even being mentioned in the conversation with the other guys. Um, that that spoke volumes to me. Um, you know, and, and the funny thing about Jalen Hurts that I think a lot of people um, – need to keep in, into perspective. You know, I think a lot of people in 2014 thought that Blake Sims was a fast guy. Um, you know, he's a four six five guy, which isn't really that fast for somebody that's six feet tall and 215 pounds. But just like David Palmer, 
who, you know, ran a four seven five forty for the pro scouts. Number one, you never saw David Palmer get run down from behind, and you certainly never saw the first tackler bring him down. Uh, you know, Jalen Hurts, the one combine that he went to last year when he was in high school, ran a four eight five four. Um, that fast for somebody that's, you know, six foot two and, and two hundred and fifteen pounds. But that just like with Blake Barnett and just like with David Palmer, for ten yards, nobody can put a hand on him. He's He's shifty, he's elusive, but if you spend some time and you watch the film of him in high school, um, you know, once he gets 30 or 40 yards down the field, you will see some high school defensive backs, you know, run him down. So, you know, he's not a a Derrick Henry um, that has, you know, unbelievable top-end speed. Um, You know, and I kind of liken it to the comparison to to Derrick Henry and and Bo Scarborough. I got no doubt in my mind that Derrick Henry could outrun Bo Scarborough in a 40-yard dash. But whereas it took Derrick 10 yards to get to his top-end speed, it only takes Bo three yards. So whatever his top-end speed is, he gets to it very quickly. And I think the same thing could be said about Jalen Hurts. Um, You know, he's not the fastest guy on the team, and he never will be. But whatever his true top-end speed is, he gets to it very rapidly, very elusive. Um, You know, he's the son of a high school, one of the best high school football coaches in Texas. And, you know, a couple of my high school buddies um, sat next to his father at the scrimmage on Saturday, and they had a chance to interact with him. And, uh, you know, he was tickled to death with, you know, the way that they've handled Jalen since he's been here, Um, you know, the opportunity that they've given him. Uh, you know, to show what he can do. And he said, you know, that was my one concern about sending my son to Alabama and, uh, you know, going to play for a taskmaster like, like Nick Saban. Because I was I just, in the back of my mind, I was a little bit concerned about whether or not he would be given the opportunity, true freshman, at that quarterback position um, to, to get into the mix. And I couldn't be more happy um, with, with the way they've handled him, with the way they brought him along. You know, at the end of the day, Drew, I've sat back and watched Nick Saban for uh, nine years now and the way he goes about the methodical process of choosing, you know, the quarterback. Um, Do I think – I disagree with Wes to a certain extent. I would be absolutely floored if Jalen Hurts took the last half starting quarterback. um, I would too, really. At at the end of the year. But what I would say is – for two years, you know, I sat on my couch just begging for Nick um, to put a package in with, with Blake Sims and Kenyon Drake. You know, when they got up on teams in the fourth quarter, you know, take take A.J. out, take T.J. Yelp now, and you put Blake Sims on the field with Kenyon Drake, and you sung read people to death. You tell Blake Sims, I don't care if it's third and nine, you're not throwing a pass. You're going to go out there, and if you can move the chains, all you're going to do is zone read. Um, I would love to see that finally come to fruition this year in some shape, form, or fashion with Jalen Hurts running that same package. And that would be, uh, I think, very interesting if they decide not to redshirt Jalen. But I agree, regardless, he has a bright future. And uh, Blake Barnett, of course, it's not time to give up on him yet, but I do think after seeing Jalen Hurts and the athleticism, the quick twitch ability, the arm, the intelligence, 
he really does seem to be a special guy. And I know you're, you're, uh, you had a staff member tell you that this week as well. He, all the reviews have been really positive. We, and we always appreciate the time. Uh, it's been a great segment on BAMS again. We know you'll, we'll be talking with you next week and get your wrap on A-Day and your thoughts and, uh, and uh, just observations. But we appreciate it, sir, and have a great rest of your night, and we thank you for joining BAMS tonight. Hey, I enjoyed it, guys. Appreciate it, William. Uh, that's William Redfish Barge. You're joining us on the Asian Rim Hotline. And please don't forget to support Asian Rim anytime in the Birmingham area. They're located in the Colonnade Shopping Center just off Highway 280. You can go to their website, AsianRim.com, check out the menu, all different kinds of sushi. I was there earlier today and was able to get completely full just eating two appetizers. The shrimp boat that I know Drew loves, and also the uh, I had the uh, chicken lettuce wrap, and it was awesome. Uh, Lizzie did a great job serving me. It was good to get to sit down and talk to Roy Hockman. Uh, we talked a little bit about baseball, some on the record, some off, and uh, so that was good. And uh, but for now, we we again thank William Barger for joining us on the Asian Rim Hotline. Remember to go to AsianRim.com, check them out. Uh, but for now, we're going to take our one and only break of the evening. And then Drew and I will talk about football and some other Bama sports after this. But for now, you're listening to BAMS Radio. I, I love the colorful you wear And the way the sunlight plays upon her head I hear the sound of a gentle word On the wind that lifts her through the air back to BAMS Radio. Thank you for joining us. We are now on hour number two, 
the legendary Colin Big C. McGuire is going to call us in a few minutes, but because he missed his spot in the first hour, so he wants to make up for that. Apparently, he's out there with whoever's right is. A day, we'll get all that straight when he calls. Uh, I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark, with BamaMag.com. Joined as always by Drew Armand of ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville and Thomas Watts of Mobile, Alabama. He's a writer for Touchdown Alabama Magazine. He's our executive producer. And we spent all the first hour, really, talking about A-Day and uh, the rosters and how they split up the teams and, uh, you know, some of the recruits that are coming to town. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and bring Drew in now. And, Drew, uh, we are now in day two of a six-week late basketball signing period. Uh, there has not been any action yet publicly by the University of Alabama, but brother, the prospects' names and possible transfers coming in are flowing left and right. Yeah, there's a you know there's nothing concrete yet, uh, but uh, Avery Johnson has been steadfast. He was on my show last week and said, and we replayed that interview here on Bounds, and then of course he was with Chris Stewart earlier, and he basically said that they expect to sign two players and that's the impression I got uh, they have a plan I think they're trying to sign a guard and a big and I think they uh, they don't necessarily have to use uh, all the scholarships available they do have four available uh, but I think they like the two kids they signed Armand Davis Braxton Key uh, Terrence Ferguson uh, went to the highest bidder he, uh, he's going to Arizona uh, I'm sure uh, there's was some crying in some beer in Waco Texas uh, over that, but let them let him be someone else's problem. He is a, a very good talent, uh, but he had an entourage and a lot of people around him that I think Alabama decided they were going to pick their battles and and uh, and do some and do some other things. And 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 really, uh, I do think they're with all the fifth year transfers out there, uh, I, and with uh, Khalif Young coming in on April the nineteenth, I think Alabama feels like they can get a couple of guys. And I, the the biggest get of all. Uh, was officially announced yesterday for Avery Johnson, and that is a uh, – I really like Scott Pospigal. He's a great, personable human being. I think he did a good job trying to help Avery recruit. Uh, he couldn't get it done in the state of Texas with T. Ferg and Marcus Bolden, uh, so he's uh, he, he's going back to that state. I'm sure he will still be a big factor in AAU basketball, but they have upgraded, no question about it, uh, with John Pelfrey coming in. He can work with the bigs. He's a former head coach in the SEC and at South Alabama, so he knows the state of Alabama well. He's a legend in the state of Kentucky. His uh, jersey hangs from the rafters. He's been with Billy Donovan on two different occasions and as, a, as an assistant. And to have him as an associate head coach, and then I'll just call Bob Simon an assistant head coach, you've got two really good assistant coaches on that bench that can teach, recruit, coach. They can do it all. They're very well-rounded. And then you've got uh, the, the recruiter extraordinaire in the state of Alabama, Antoine Petway. He already is one of the more popular, you know, all-time uh, players in the program because of uh, making the team as a walk-on, becoming a scholarship student athlete, uh, helping him go on the Elite Eight run. But if he pulls off what I think he could pull off, and he will be a center of it along with Avery Johnson, if he can get a certain kid uh, with the initials JP from Johnson High School, now Jemison, in Huntsville, Alabama, to sign with Alabama this coming November and put together the kind of recruiting class I think they're going to in 2017, then he will never have to buy a beer for the rest of his life in this state. That's very true. And, you know, uh, John Petty's coach, Jack Doss, was a guest on Wimp and Barry Sanderson's show in Tuscaloosa this week. 
And, uh, you know, he kind of let it be known that uh, Bama was in the final four or five in John's group. When you talk to other people close to the program, uh, you kind of get a sense that when it's all said and done, Drew, it's going to come down to Kentucky and Alabama. It is going to come down to Kentucky or Alabama. I can almost guarantee you that. Uh, There's some other schools involved. I mean, uh, Auburn's involved, Mississippi State, Kansas. Uh, There's been a lot of schools contact John Petty, but I can tell you, it's going to be either Alabama or Kentucky, and, I'll, and I've said this, and I'm going to consistently say it, there's not been a school that has recruited John Petty harder than Alabama. Uh, and if they do lose him to Kentucky, it won't be for lack of effort. Uh, they've put in the time. They've cultivated, cultivated the relationship. Uh, comparing Anthony Grant's relationship and uh, Avery Johnson's relationship to Jack Doss is like saying, okay, is Drew going to go to Auburn this weekend or Tuscaloosa? Everybody knows where Drew's going. So I think everybody knows the difference in the relationship. It's like night and day. And I think it's uh, Avery Johnson has worked it since he got there. He did the same thing with Terrence Ferguson. But the difference in this case is that John Petty is two hours from Tuscaloosa, and he's not in the state of Texas. And I think, uh, they, John, they're, they're really selling to him that he can help change this program and, uh, and be a, a, a trailblazer. And hopefully, in the end, that's what will happen. Well, as you said, the effort's there. And I'll tell you somebody else, they put a lot of effort in on Drew, and it seems to be paying off. And that's uh, the young man from Auburn High, Garrison Brooks. Yes, uh, his, his father, George Brooks, has been a fixture on the Mississippi State bench. But the, the more you, you look into the situation, the more you delve into it, it, it looks like he, he, he wants to kind of blaze his own path and, uh, and, and not go to Mississippi State. You know, six months ago when I heard who his father was, I thought it was obvious that, he, or in my opinion, he might end up in Mississippi State. But Alabama's continued to turn up the heat on him. Uh, they, they also continue to recruit Alex Reese very hard from Pelham. I don't know if they'll sign them both, but I do think they want at least one of them. And I'm going to continue to champion Herb Jones. I think they're going to end up wanting him. Uh, I've been told by a great friend of this show, Garrett Tucker, he thinks Herb Jones has pro potential. I think uh, Herb, uh, now I, I have had people on Twitter tell me that they've seen Herb Jones. They think he's a mid-major at best. I disagree with that. I think he's six seven, long and athletic, and he's someone that can be developed. And uh, I really think uh, that Herb Jones, uh, in either Garrison Brooks or uh, Alex Reese and uh, John Petty, or they, Alabama wants to sign at least three kids in state. And then I think they're in on a lot of kids out of state. I think, as Avery Johnson said on, on the show last week and when we replayed the talking ball interview, they're going to recruit the state hard. They want to put up a fence, but they also are going to recruit outside the state. And I don't think they're putting all their eggs in one basket. Uh, they've got a, a nice board they're setting up for 2017. And let's not forget, John Pelfrey now officially a part of the staff and he will help them recruit as well. He recruited very well at Arkansas. He left uh, Mike Anderson a lot of talent, uh, and uh, he may not have uh, been an outstanding head coach in the SEC, but he has been an outstanding assistant, and he will help get talent to Tuscaloosa. There's no question about it. Uh, John Pelfrey is known throughout the southeast and throughout the country. When you say, uh, when you get, when you say John Pelfrey, University of Alabama, it's going to help uh, this program. He indeed is a great hire, a home run hire, and uh, we're going to shift the topic back to football now as we take our uh, next caller on the Asian Rim hotline. Uh, welcome in, Colin Big C. McGuire to Bams Radio. Well, I'm glad to be here. I'm sorry I missed you an hour ago, but we're able to get here. How y'all doing? Hey, Drew. Good, good, Big C. How you doing, buddy? How you, Big Carrie? 
I'm just as blessed as I am broke. Say that again, big man. I He's as blessed as he is broke. That's why that's why he needed that free food from Asian Rim, baby. Okay. <laughs> that's true, really. Well, uh, what are y'all anticipating from Saturday's game? Well, it'll be vanilla on both sides of the ball, BC. Everybody's just going to watch and see with uh, hopefully 80 to 90,000 people in the stands how these quarterbacks react. Uh, and, you know, I, I got a funny feeling that a couple of them are going to play pretty well and probably one on each team. I, uh, my predictions are that Cooper Bateman is going to be steady as she goes. But we're going to see um, David Cornwell play pretty well. And there'll be people talking about him. But I, I think Jalen Hurts, uh, he's, he's going to take the majority of the reps with Blake Barnett on the on the white squad. And I, I think uh, Jalen Hurts is going to make some plays. He's getting more and more comfortable, uh, you know, every uh, scrimmage. And I'm anxious to see him. I, I, he really impressed me the first scrimmage for a young kid. Then from what all I've heard he did in the second scrimmage, some of it against the ones. I'm really impressed. He's going to get a chance to go up against them Saturday. And I think Jalen Hurts, I'm not saying he's going to start. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying he is going to be someone that they're going to buzz about and that they're going to be talking about his future for the next four months. Uh-huh. Well, um, but, I mean, do you still you think they'll play him next year or do you think they'll redshirt him talking about Hurts? Well, you know, I'm not going to – I think they'll end up redshirting him. I still – I'm going to have to see it to believe it. With the package for uh, for uh, and what William was saying, he hoped they would do that. I don't really think they're going to do it, honestly. I, I just really believe what they're going to do is I think they're going to continue to see how he progresses. And if they if he does play, it's because he is going to do what Chris Lowe said. I, you know, I asked Chris Lowe this today again. I don't know if you heard it, but I asked him. I said, "Do you think you know we're hearing all this thing, all these things about Hertz?" He said, "Hertz has entered the conversation and he's done enough early in this uh, spring." camp I said Chris the only position Nick Saban has not allowed you know or not had a had a a freshman make significant impact in his time at LSU and in Tuscaloosa for now 10 years as quarterback what what are you what is your thoughts on Jalen Hurts and he said well Drew I really think that he's getting closer and closer to doing something like that and I think Hurts could be the guy and so it was kind of like what Wes Neighbor said that he thinks Cooper Bateman could start the season uh, against Southern Cal, but that if Hertz continues to progress as, as quickly as he has, he could take the last snap. And, you know that that you know William disagreed with that, and and and, and I really tend to as well because Coach Saban does not like to throw quarterbacks, uh, you know, in there too quickly. But the thing that's special about Hertz is he has uncommon athletic ability, and then the one thing that sets him apart is he's a coach's son. As uh, William brought up in our segment. Avrion Hurts was his head coach and his father, and he was at the scrimmage the, uh, uh, at the coaches' clinic and was very pleased with Jalen's progress. And he, he, he has a very high football IQ, and I think uh, he, he has the he has arm strength to do it, the mobility, the athletic ability. Uh, he's just someone to watch. I mean, everybody was on the Blake Barnett train, including me, a year ago. I was told all about Hurts throughout high school. I watched his film, was very impressed. But until I saw him up close, and I did it a couple of weeks ago, I didn't start to believe it, but I did see it, and uh, he is special. And then to hear, you know, that he was able to make some more plays and and, and progress in the second scrimmage. A lot of times, when uh, not behind the first or never behind the first offense, and he and he started making plays against the ones last week. It's just very exciting, and it's going to be interesting to watch. Now, what is um, 
Now, I was listening to a show, and somebody brought up Tim Sims' name. How has he progressed? And, you know, he had that real bad knee injury over a year ago. And, you know, last year he played, but he didn't really get to do much. Uh, what do you all know about that? He's moving around a lot better, Big C. Uh, he was still kind of limping a little bit last year, even though he played enough to let her. Uh, but this spring, he's shown more mobility. Uh, he's a guy that's really a threat when you get down around the goal line and start thinking about throwing fade patterns. The names that come to mm-hmm. your mind are him and Rob Foster. Uh, he, you know, he's not in the top three right now, but he's pushing for it. The best three receivers on the team are in no particular order, Calvin Ridley, Rob Foster, and R. Darius Stewart. But Cam is right there pushing. Cam's going to have to hold off. Uh, Gary Dieter, when Dieter gets there this summer for playing time, because they hardly ever play more than four in a close game. But Cam is going to—he's he, a lot healthier now than he was, and uh, I, I think he'll see him do a few things Saturday. What about the Char- Charlay? Is that his name from Louisiana? Dalen Charlotte. Uh, yeah, Dalen Charlotte, uh, Big C. He—he's still got a ways to go. You know, he's had some drops. Uh, he, he, he hasn't had – he hadn't been targeted a whole lot. Uh, you know, Derek Keefe has actually been targeted more than him. I think he's a – much like Kenny Bell, he's going to toughen up a little bit. He's going to get better. He's behind a lot of really good players. He needs to be patient. Um, I think he still has a bright future. But right now, he would probably be sixth, especially when you take into account Gary Dieter. And I think – I agree with Kerry. I think Cam Sims has improved. I think he's almost over the knee injury. But Gary Dieter is a very good talent. And I saw him on the hoof at the scrimmage a couple of weeks ago in his street clothes. He's every bit of 6'3". He's over 200 pounds. We know what he did at Bowling Green last year. It is going to be very tough to keep him out of the top four. Uh, but when Cam Sims is your fifth guy, what that means is L-O-A-D-E-D, that you're loaded at the wide receiver mm-hmm. position, mm-hmm. That, uh, mm-hmm. that Alabama, Texas A&M, and Ole Miss, and I think Ole Miss would be third behind those two, uh, no matter, even though you hear the old Miss people say they feel like uh, they have the best wide receiver class in America, they probably have the highest paid. But that's another story for another day. But I think, I think, um, I think they have a very talented squad, though. I just think right now theirs is probably third behind A and M and Alabama. But you could say and argue that that's probably that could be the three most talented wide receiver groups, not just the SEC, but in college football. Wow, that's pretty saying a lot with it not just being the SEC but college football. Now, what was the, the guy from Cincinnati? What is he making progress to? Keith, he's he's made a little bit. I th- I still think he's had issues, at least in the scrimmage I saw catching the football consistently and getting separation. But he's never going to be a burner. Uh, I, I I have heard that he's done well in the practices. I still think he has a chance to be good. But much like Dalen Charlotte. He's kind of buried on the depth chart, and he's going to have to be patient and continue to work because you've got, uh, you know, if if uh, Robert Foster has a big year this year, he could easily leave early because he's had a big-time injury history. He may try to strike while the iron's hot. But Calvin Ridley mm-hmm. will be here another year. We all know that. And our Darius Stewart uh, has improved. We haven't really mentioned him today, but he right now is the best all-around receiver on the team. By all-around, I mean he will knock your head off as a blocker. He has improved more as a player in the last 12 months than anybody I've ever seen. He wasn't one of my favorite people at the start of last season, and I voiced my opinion. But by the end of the year, 
we all saw what he did, and that's a complete credit to him. And he he was outstanding in the scrimmage I saw two weeks ago. And from what I understand, he was very very solid last week. Now, um, how's the Fraser guy from Arkansas doing? I heard he's got a lot of potential on the defensive line. Yeah, he does. Uh, he you know technically he'd be your backup nose guard, but they're so thin at defensive end this spring that he's having to play a lot of end. And I think when the second defense takes the field Saturday, you'll see him play more end than you do nose guard. He's on the same team with uh, with O.J. Smith, who is a nose guard, and with Johnny Dwight, who can play nose guard or tackle. So there's just not a lot of depth right now at, at, at end. So he's having to play that. But I think this fall that he's going to be the primary backup to Deron Payne on the nose, Big C. He's having a, a, a decent spring. He's, he's coming along. Okay, well, I'm trying to think of anybody else. Um, uh, now, uh, outside linebacker, who's behind? Um, I'm trying to think who's behind uh, Williams and um, Anderson right now. You're, you're talking about Christian Kirk and, or excuse me, uh, excuse me, Christian uh, Miller. Uh, I've got a Texas A&M on the brain. But uh, Christian Miller had his best scrimmage, Big C, this past week, this past Saturday. He had about six or seven tackles and two sacks. Uh, he's up to 233 pounds. He's very long. Very, and uh, Tosh Lupoy, who's the best outside linebackers coach in college football, is doing a very good job of uh, developing him. He's done a very good job of developing Ryan Anderson when his pre when the guy that previously coached the position claimed Ryan Anderson had short arms. And, of course, that gentleman is on his third college in three years. Uh, but, again, Ryan Anderson has become very productive. Um, uh, we've seen Tim Williams, who uh, that previous coach also said couldn't learn the defense. Now Tim Williams is an All-American because he's actually being coached. And uh, Tim Williams has got a chance to be special and develop into a first-round pick. And then don't, uh, and don't discount uh, other young players over there. Anthony Jennings is over there right now, but I still think uh, by the fall he'll be a 280-pounder, maybe even 85 with his hand in the dirt, but he's at the jack position, and he's uh, very good as well. So, And, you know, Rashawn Evans will play it on third down. So an embarrassment of riches, and it's uh, good to be Tosh LePoy right now. No doubt about it. And that's not even counting Makai Brown, who I think is still showing a lot of potential. Wow. Well, the main – all right, let me ask you all this. What, um, you know, Saban made the comment, now they're starting to try to use his age against him um, – when do you think that might can start hurting Alabama, or you think it will anytime soon? I'll let Kerry comment, but I'll make a quick comment. It ain't going to hurt. Four rings in seven years. He's the best there yep. is and the best there was, and he may even be the best there ever will be by the time it's over. I mean, and, and I said was, and I really that should be Coach Bryant, but he's going to be up there. He's either going to be on the route rush more with Coach Bryant, or he may be by himself if he can win two more. And I'm not disparaging Coach Bryant. He was one of the greats of all time. His, uh, he had, his longevity was amazing. But Coach Saban has a chance to put 15-plus years in at Alabama and win, as many, win more national championships. He has a chance. not saying he's going to, but he has a chance to win more national championships in a, in a, in a much more competitive time than Coach Bryant did. He won six in 25 years, and that's amazing. But Coach, but Coach Saban has a chance to win more than that in a, in, a, in a period that may be 10 years shorter in a much more competitive environment and having to also go through a playoff. If he does that, to me, he will be the greatest of all time. 
But the thing that's good, that's so uh, satisfying if you're an Alabama fan is the two greatest of all time coach at the same school, and it'll drive the rest of America crazy. But it's the truth. Yeah. And that's why it's going to yeah. make Alabama far and away the greatest football program of all time. And Notre Dame is an afterthought. Forget it. They've won nothing since uh, uh, you know, uh, give me uh, when since uh, basically Perfect Strangers was on television. So, I, I mean, there you there you go. Big C, I'll answer that question with a question for you. If somebody starts talking about Nick Saban's age, how many 65-year-old men do you know that play pickup basketball at lunch? Because I know none. Well, that we got one. Yeah, I mean, no, <laughs> so, you know, Big C, somebody somebody put a picture on Tyler and Saturday the other day of Coach Bryant at 65 and Nick Saban at 65. Uh, one looked 85 and one looked 45, and I'll just leave it at that. Okay, I understand where you're coming from, man. But, um, no, I, just, I, I, do, I do know that what was bad for Coach Bryant at the end, that was used against him, and I think it did come back to hurt him and hurt the program for the short term anyway uh, for a little while after that because of that. But, uh, no, I just was, he made that comment the other day, and I was just curious what y'all's opinion was on that. Well, but, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's, people are going to try it. You know, people like Kirby Smart and Old Mater over at Ole Miss and, you know, bowl cut it in Athens, they're all going to try it. But as long as he's winning championships and going to Atlanta and, you know, going to the 14 playoff, it just it don't matter what they say, Big C. Y'all still there? I got a, another comment, a question to ask y'all. I'm here. I'm go, here. Ahead. go ahead. Okay. I read on Facebook. I don't know. I know. Uh, um, Malzahn sort of wishes or sort of trying to push him to go to the Eastern Division. What's y'all's opinion of that comment there? Have y'all heard that? <laughs> I, I, I saw it, Big C, but it's never going to happen. I mean, you know, it. You know, it, you know, you, I guess you never say never, but it, it's very, very unlikely to happen. Because the first thing Alabama's going to do, they do not want to lose Tennessee as a permanent opponent, and Tennessee doesn't want to lose Alabama. Uh, that they're going to they're yeah. going to fight for that. I mean, that even though I know Coach Saban wants a nine game schedule, but they don't want to have to rotate Tennessee off the schedule, and they're not going to rotate Auburn because if Auburn comes off Alabama's schedule, then Auburn's in big trouble because Auburn uh, it, that the emphasis is the Iron Bowl for them. If they can't play Alabama and sell that game when it's every other year at, at home games, they're going to be a lot of empty seats. Because the oh, fans yeah. are are hungry for the Iron Bowl, it's the biggest rivalry in the country. I mean, it's the most intense rivalry in the country. And uh, at, at Alabama, it's just not it's not going away. I mean, Auburn's going to be there. It's always going to be the number one rival. The number close number two is going to be Tennessee, and Alabama doesn't want Tennessee to to rotate off either. Uh, Tennessee, some Tennessee fans secretly probably want it too, considering that they've taken uh, you know seven butt kickings out of nine years, and st- and then the other two were losses as well. Uh, but uh, honestly, most Tennessee fans do not want Alabama to rotate off either. It's, it, there's two it's two stories of rivalry, and I just don't ever really see oh, yeah. that happening with Auburn going to the East. Yeah, well, and quite frankly, yeah. I don't uh-huh. think Auburn would want to play Alabama twice in a year. They 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 would love to. Some of them would say they'd love it, but they wouldn't because if they lost twice to Alabama in a year, uh, I don't know if uh, I don't know. Uh, I just don't know how long that uh, some of the people's sanity would would last. Yeah, they'd be a hard, they'd be having a hard time. Are. Thank y'all. Y'all well, have thank, a good night. Thank you, Big C. Roll Tide. Got, got another call to take. Uh, joining us now on the Asian Rim Hotline is uh, it's kind of a sad time here on, on BAMS to have to announce this to those of you who don't already know, but 
the uh, Alabama hockey program, uh, the head coach, Mike Quinnable, decided to step down. And uh, he's kind enough to give us uh, another segment of his time tonight as he's been so great to BAMS Radio over the last couple of years, even going back to the, the days when Greg, the late Greg Calhoun started this show. But uh, we are going to bring on now Coach Mike Quinnaville, now former coach of the Frozen Tide hockey team. Uh, coach Q, thank you so much for joining us tonight on BAMS. Well, thanks for having me. Great show hey, coach, so uh, far. Love listening to Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, we, we try to uh, keep the information flowing here on BAMS, and that includes other BAMA sports, and that includes club sports, and that includes frozen time hockey. Uh, Drew had to drop off, but he wanted to pass on his best wishes to you, your, uh, your fellow Huntsville uh, resident there. But, Coach, let's start off, I guess, with the obvious question. Uh, what went into your decision to step down and retire from frozen tide hockey? Well, you know, it's um, it was a tough decision. You know, that the the job was a, uh, a great job. Of course, it's the best university in the country to to be able to coach at. And you know, I um, <clears throat> we just moved to Division One um, this past year, and you know, I took a hard look at it and and, and just felt that in order for this program to to be successful at this uh, at this division, that I thought it was best to um, to bring a, a coach in here that could spend more time um, doing what he has to do to run a successful program. You know, being in Huntsville and driving two hours a couple times a week, and then even home games being away games for me because I'd spend time down and, and tell them all weekend. You know, just not only got tough on myself, but it got tough on the family. But you know, um, it's been a great eight years. And um, I think the program's heading in the right direction and uh, look forward to, you know, continuing to follow it and, and helping out in any way I can. And uh, no time was wasted in uh, naming your successor. I'm not quite certain how to pronounce his last name. I know it's Coach John. Tell us a little bit about him. So Coach John Beershin, he, um, he, he played for us um, back in 2012. John was um, a little older student, came in about 23 years old, uh, played in the goalie position. Um, he was um, um, a goalie with Sean Vincent. Um, he was a guy that was pretty quiet, a, qu- a quiet leader. He came in, worked very hard on the ice, off the ice, in the classroom. And uh, I remember the uh, SEC championship game when, when we were up against Florida. And... Um, um, me and my staff decided to play him in that championship game, and, and we we won it. Um, you know, it was pretty was pretty uh, great memory. But John brings a lot of um, a lot of things to the program. You know, he's an Alabama alum. Um, he, his parents has a, a condo in Tuscaloosa, so he'll be able to stay there and live there and commute back and forth to Palum. And you know, he'll he'll be he'll be present with the players a lot more. He'll be able to do more off ice. He'll be able to do more video sessions. You know, he, um, um, he's a great fit for the job. He's a student of the game. He attends a lot of different uh, clinics. He talks to a lot of different coaches. You know, he's just, uh, uh, you know, a top-notch kid that um, can come in and I think uh, move the program on to the next level. You know, the first coach, Darren Awinder, did a great job when he started the program. You know, I'd say he made it from, uh, you know, A to step B. Jeff Cheeseman came in in the second year and made it from step B to step C. 
you know, I came in for the past year, and I guess I'll go from C to D, and I think John can take it on uh, a lot farther from D on, and uh, I think he's going to be a great asset to the program. And you were there a total of how many years, Coach Q? I was there eight years. I was a head coach for six, and then my first two years I was assistant to uh, Jeff Cheeseman. And in your six years as head coach, my favorite thing about you is you went 17-0 and 0 against the Booger Eaters from Lee County, Auburn Tigers. Coach, uh, tell me a little bit about how that rivalry transpires in hockey. I, I know it's just as big as it is in football. But apparently the game meant a lot to you because you never lost to those guys. You know, it's pretty special when I look back and, and, and see that uh, I was, uh, you know, 17-0. and 0, But, you know, a, a lot of credit goes to my staff and the players, right? Um, you know, uh, having Auburn um, as a big rivalry is, is pretty special to our university. And, you know, the kids take it uh, to heart. And, and uh, even though a lot of kids know each other, it's, 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 it means a big deal. So the rivalry, you know, it grew over the years. Um, it was great when Auburn came and fielded the team. Um, um, you know, they, they've, they've, they've progressed quite a bit. Uh, they got a lot of kids out of the Birmingham area. Um, they got some kids up out of the north. You know, their program's getting better and better, and, and that rivalry's getting better and better. So it's just exciting when, you know, it's an Auburn-Alabama game. It's in a hockey rink in Pelham, Alabama, and, you know, you're getting anywhere from 2,500 to 3,700 fans in a 3,000-seat rank. And pretty special environment and something I'll never forget. And, and being 17 and all is, is pretty, pretty special. Yeah, and it's something that people can never take away from you. That's, I mean, it means a lot. Even, you know, just to me as an alumnus to be able to tell people, hey, our coach was 17 and 0 against y'all. Deal with it. And uh, so no pressure <laughs> on John, uh, but we're fully expecting John to – keep that streak going and uh, having been a former player, a former goalie for you, I know he understands the rivalry and I know that he'll work, uh, you know, hand and foot to keep that going. But I understand that John also got some pretty valuable experience in a uh, minor league hockey coach. Yeah. So he spent, um, so after he left our program, he went, uh, you know, he's been a kid that's always wanted to, to coach and he left our program graduating from, from Alabama and went up North to, to coach at a, the assistant coach at a Division Three NCAA program, and then um, left there and, and, and spent the past, I guess, four or five seasons down with the uh, Columbus Cotton Mouse of the Southern Professional Hockey League down in Columbus, Georgia. So he's been a part of that program. Um, he's been, you know, a valuable asset to them. So I think with, you know, with what he learned there and what he accomplished there, I think he could be, you know, bring that to uh, to our university. Right, and you know um, the Auburn rivalry aside, which I, I feel on seventeen and zero, I can't get over that. But the Auburn rivalry aside, talk about some of the other highlights uh, of your six-year career, because coach, you had a lot of success out on that rink in Pelham and on the road. Well, I think the, uh, the first one would be the SEC championship. Um, you know, anytime you can le- learn, uh, I mean, win a, uh, a league championship is pretty special. Uh, it's never easy especially when you got uh, teams like Arkansas and Ole Miss and, and uh, Vanderbilt and Florida um, uh, as big rivalries. Um, right after that tournament, we went to the um, Southern Regional Tournament. Um, 
Arkansas was beating us the whole season, and uh, we come to the final game of that tournament. The winner goes to the national championship tournament. Would have been the first for Alabama hockey, and you know we uh, we pulled out the victory, and uh, I think we won two to one, and that was pretty special. Something I'll never forget. Uh, Rammer Jammer after that on the ice uh, after we won that game. Um, you know, being you know going to the national championship tournament for the first time was was pretty special. Um, you know, and then, um, you know, going to the national championship tournament two more times. Um, when we hosted it here in Pelham last year, you know, we were one goal shy away from going to semifinals. You know, that was a pretty special team. It was probably the, the best team that we've had in my eight years and, and, uh, having the success of, you know, beating Michigan state over the years and, and teams like that been pretty special. Um, I believe it was 2012. My peers um, voted me for the National Coach of the Year. Um, was pretty special. You know, a lot of credit has to go out to my assistant coaches, Ian A. Bear and, and Brian Crowley, uh, there on the Pelham. But um, you know, as a, as a group, we we um, we did a lot of great things. We had a lot of fun, and you know, and, and the bad part, you know, we unfortunately had to bury two of our student athletes, and that was probably something I'll never forget. Um, you know, I still keep in contact with their parents, and it's pretty special, but it's something that, uh, you know, no coach wants to live through or go through uh, during their time. But, you know, it's um, we just make it special now and, and talk to the parents quite often. Coach Q, I just – I can't thank you enough as an alumnus for the great job you did for us. But we have a couple of other people that are calling in now on the Asian Realm hotline. We'll take these calls once at a time, and they want to talk to you as well. And these are these are both people that you know, Coach Q. The first one, uh, let's go ahead and bring on the Asian Realm hotline, Doug from Oxford. You're on with uh, Coach Q. Coach, how are you doing this evening? Hey, good, sir. How are you? Wonderful, wonderful. One of just call and, and thank you for, you know, all that you've done for the university and for the hockey program. You know, me being a guy from originally from the Midwest and moving down south at a young age, didn't get much hockey time to watch hockey, except when I lived in Tampa and then, you know, moved here to Oxford and finally got some hockey to watch. And we were able to get my wife involved in it. So she uh, is now a big hockey fan and, you know, it's just uh, – it's really meant a lot to the shoe family to have the University of Alabama frozen tied there and uh just want to thank you for all that you've done for for us here and and I uh, wish you the best in the future. Man, I appreciate that dog. I know you and your wife and your two new twins uh you know, you guys driving down from Oxford, Alabama down to Pelham, Alabama to watch us play and and all that. You know, we we knew that it meant a lot to you and we appreciate the support, and, you know, for any of the fans that are listening, the guy that's that is behind the bench holding up the, the, the signs, um, this is the guy that, uh, that's talking right now. And uh, <laughs> we appreciate everything you've done for the program and, and the friendship, and, you know, I hope we can keep in touch. Oh, definitely. You know, the thing about the signs, you know, I, I, I've had to talk to the half of the Navy team after the Navy game, and I got an opportunity to speak to half of the old Miss team after the game and they they love the signs they they appreciated you know I told them you know we didn't want you to feel too welcome being in the Pelham Civic Center but we wanted to make sure you knew you were in our house and they they really enjoyed that part of it but um yeah, that was awesome. you know yeah just want to you know 
moving the the move to a Division One head coach, I think, was the right move for the team. I know it's a little faster pace um, than what Division Three was, but I think overall the guys really held up well this year. Um, I just think maybe uh, just uh, maybe a little too quick for our defense this year, but. I know with Coach uh, Bershon coming on, and and you know with his background with goalie and all that, I think we'll be we'll be we'll be good. I think we'll have a better season this year coming up. Oh, there's, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. You know we um, we've been hot on the recruiting trail here the past couple months, and we got great kids coming in, and and uh, I think uh, it's going to be a, a, a better team. It's going to be a deeper team, and uh, you know I, they're going to have a lot of success next year. Okay, well, if I could use your name, you know, I have a five-month-old boy. His name is Donigan. That's going to want to recruit for the team. So if we could maybe get a letter from you here, some point in time when we're ready for him to hit the ice, that'd be very much appreciated. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Now, I don't think there's ice in Oxford, Alabama, so I guess you have to come to Pelham or to Huntsville, right? Yes, we're 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 gonna move eventually. I promise you. He hasn't started walking yet, but I did. I I, I already got your advice. I've already been online looking at skates for him. So when he starts walking, we're gonna put him in skates. There you go. There you go. I'm sure there's a lot of parents out there that are used, and we can probably hook you up. <laughs> that would be awesome. But once again, Coach, I want to thank you. So you guys get the next caller. But I want to thank you for everything you've done and uh, making my wife's side of the family they're all football Alabama University of Alabama football baseball all that they weren't they weren't sure on hockey until I brought them to one of the games and now they're all hooked also awesome awesome all right well take care coach, and thanks for everything roll tide thanks yeah thank, thank you guys yeah thanks for calling Doug that was a Doug Hugh, a big hockey fan from Oxford shown dedication by driving to Pelham New Central on ESPN. The team rosters were announced. Uh, you can go to rollpod.com, all the various Bama websites, including mine, bamamag.com, and get that information. Uh, perhaps the most uh, one of the most surprising things was that the top two quarterbacks will both be on the first offense on the Crimson team, and that is Cooper Bateman and David Cornwell. Those two are kind of still fighting for the uh, the position. And uh, they'll both run the first offense, and that means the first offensive line. And what we discovered uh, when the rosters came out was something that we thought we already knew, but that the first five on the offensive line are left tackle, Corin Kerman, right tackle, Jonah Williams, uh, left guard, Lester Cotton. Blog talk has crashed. This is not us at all. Are we even on the air at all? I don't think so. Blog talk has completely died. I can't get it through anything. Let me see if I can get it okay. on my tablet. Well, we only have 12 minutes, so if we need to wrap it up, we can wrap let me, it up. Let me, let me keep fiddling with this. Okay. Well, I'll keep talking football in the case that something's being recorded. Uh, the uh, right guard is not Big Shank Taylor, who started 15 games last year. Instead, the right guard right now is Brandon Kennedy. Uh, so that's a, a name to watch there. Uh, and the right tackle is true freshman Jonah Williams. The tight ends and H-backs, I didn't mention this too much earlier, but the tight ends and H-backs on the first-team offense are Hale Hempfus and O.J. Howard, last year's starters, so that made a whole lot of sense. The running backs were split up after we had gotten some indication that they may not be, uh, but Bo Scarborough will run behind the first offensive line, 
And as the rosters were given out tonight are accurate, uh, Damian Harris will run behind the second offensive line. Uh, but that also means he'll run against the second defense. So look at those two guys carefully. And uh, Ronnie Clark will get some time, too, with the ones. A lot of thought, though, that in the fall, Ronnie Clark might be changed over to H-back. But he's still running back for now. Another young man you're going to want to watch if you haven't already figured this out, where's number 31 for the white team. His name is Xavier Marks. Uh, he's also a member of the Bama track team. He's extremely fast. He's only about 5'7 or 5'8 tops in cleats. But he is quick. He is good with the ball. He is not on the same team as Calvin Ridley is for two reasons. Uh, one, he's a backup receiver. Calvin's a starter. But primarily, Calvin is right now running first on punt and kickoff return, and Xavier is running second. Uh, in a perfect world, Xavier would be the uh, kickoff and, and punt return guy, and you could save Calvin not risk the injuries that could potentially occur to Calvin's body on special team kick returns. That was never a concern with Cyrus Jones, which is fine. But if you have a choice and you have a quick guy, even if he is only 5'7 or 5'8, and he can catch the ball and get you positive yardage, uh, that could be the guy. And Coach Saban has been very complimentary the entire spring on the arc. So you don't probably see any live tackling on special teams this week. But you'll be able to see the speed of Xavier Marks. And Xavier is also working some uh, in the slot and even some at running back in the Kenyon Drake-type role. Um, so he can be a weapon for Alabama, depending upon how they choose to, uh, to use him. And uh, so, that you know, that, again, I want to remind everybody that listens to BAMS Radio, you're always welcome at the BAMS Radio tent, which is going to be located this Saturday starting at 10 a.m., uh, in front of Moore Hall, which is uh, across the street Gary, from the quad. Uh, I don't mean to cut you off, but we have the show regened, and I'm about to make Coach Q live. I've got the studio back up. It's okay. And, be, uh, also, I, I, didn't, I apologize that I had to cut you off. I just wanted to make sure that we were. No, that, that's live. fine. Also, can you try to get. Uh, yeah, I, I talked to Paige on Twitter. Um, I'll sell her to call back in, or I'm, I think she's on hold, actually, so we can bring both of them back. Okay, well, let's my... try to bring them both on at one time. And uh, Coach Q, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes, sir. Great. And Paige, are you there yet? Uh, yes, sir. Wonderful. We had, we had a little hiccup. Thank y'all for your patience and let me ramble about A-Day. But, Paige, we got Coach Q live, and I know you were a little distraught, as I was, when he announced his uh, intentions of retiring. But, you know, all good things must come to an end. And you, as the sponsor of the very Asian Rim hotline that Coach called in on, certainly should get a chance to talk to him, and I'm going to let y'all have a little conversation. Well, I was I was shocked. I really didn't know that was coming, but um, – I just am so thankful that you're uh, letting callers call in and and just uh, tell Coach Q how much that he, he meant to the program. And, um, you know, he's probably the, the single reason why I even started paying attention to Alabama hockey. I didn't even know he had a hockey team. And um, he, you know, was coming into the restaurant. And, you know, I uh, really just thought, well, I'll go try it out because at that time I think they were playing in the SEC tournament. And I couldn't believe how much fun it was. I was just bowled over. I was sitting there going, I wish Georgie had played hockey now because it is so much fun. And the Alabama hockey matches were so exciting. And, 
you know, he just, he to me, he kicked it up to a whole other level. And anytime you can just beat Auburn every single time you play them, that's, you know, that's always worth something. And um, I just thought that he was a great leader of the guys. It seemed like they all really, you know, thought the world of him. And, and I just think that, you know, they're really going to miss him. I don't know the new guy at all. I just, I wish they could get someone whose last name was pronounceable. Um, because I haven't heard his name pronounced, so to me it just looks like Coach Beercan or something. But um, anyway, uh, that's that's kind of my two cents, and I'm, I'm just sad to see the coach go, but I'm excited to have the new guy on board as well. Well, thanks, Paige. You know, I always enjoyed Asian Rim. It's a great place, and everybody listening, hope they can come to your restaurant and have some great sushi and, and, and all the other foods that, that you have. You know, we appreciate all you what you've done for the program. You've uh, done a lot of marketing for us via Twitter and taking pictures and, and you know, letting people uh, know, especially Alabama people know, that, that we had a hockey program. And, you know, Quinville, Beershin, you know, it's it's not too bad. I think you'll like the new coach. Um, I think he's going to be a great asset. I really do. And, and hopefully maybe one of these weekends uh, or days I can get them into, into your restaurant so you can meet them. Yeah. Yeah. Please do that. Paige, I'll be happy to give you the ARAB way of, of remembering this. Uh, uh, you know, okay. if you take my beer, I'm going to kick you in the skin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. Take the girl out of Marshall County. Well, Coach Q will always be Coach Q to me, and I think that uh, I, I'll, I'll believe that he's not going to be somewhere coaching off hockey when I see it. He's just got it in his blood, and and um, I I just, you know, he may not coach for a few minutes, but, you know, he'll be, I think he'll be back at it somewhere. No plans as of right now. Just uh, gonna, you know, I became a partner in my company and, and a lot of time spent there. So, you know, I'm gonna work hard to to, to learn that new position and and uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, I, who knows? I've been involved with hockey since I was two years old. So, when I first started skating, so a lot of years there, and and uh, it's a great sport. And you know, obviously, I, I enjoy coaching. And but you know, it's gonna be good to take a little break as well. Just don't get too far away from us, Coach. And thank you so much, Carrie. Thanks for having us, having me on. Um, I really do appreciate it, and look forward to seeing you soon, Mike. All right, take care. Well, Paige, Thanks. Thank you, Coach Q. Paige, you still there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, we did. We did. We only have about four or five more minutes, but we did want to talk a little bit of baseball. If that's okay. Sure. Well. Um, Tough series in Lexington last weekend. Did salvage the Sunday game. And then a, a very strange game. But Alabama came out in front in the end, 7-6 to six, over UAB the other night. Just kind of bring us uh, up to speed on, on what's going on here recently within the baseball team and what the outlook is for this weekend against Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that we, we knew going up to Lexington that we were going to have our hands full on Saturday, and as we did. Um, that pitcher, you know, he had been uh, Lexington's pitcher, or Kentucky's pitcher, he had been drafted once before for, you know, more than a million dollars and chose to come back for his senior year. 
So he's going to be looking at a nice bonus uh, day come to MLB draft. Um, he, uh, they, their pitching was just tremendous on Saturday. Friday night was when we had our chance and blew it up there. And it really should have won Friday. And then, of course, we would have had the Sunday win to win the series. Um, midweek game, you know, kind of sort of typical. It's like our guys just, they just don't, don't come out. Uh, I mean, they came out in the first inning and did really well and then just went to sleep for a little while, and I think they thought they probably had the game wrapped up and then realized that uh, UAB was not done uh, scoring. And so then that made us just have to, you know, scramble like crazy and try to get one more run in, which they did. But, again, they they had a little bit of the midweek blahs, I call it, where – they just can't seem to get up for the game and just stay up the whole time. Um, this weekend is going to be tough, but we can definitely beat Ole Miss. I, their pitching is is really, really good, but it, it's not, believe it or not, it, it's not as good as some of what we saw up in Kentucky. And uh, I, I, even though they're ranked eight. You know, it really does not bother our guys how high a team is ranked or how, how great your pitcher is supposed to be or whatever. I mean, you saw what they did in LSU. They're fully capable of beating Ole Miss if they play their A game and they can stay up for nine innings in a row at least two times this weekend. And that's what they're going to have to do is fight for nine innings and not fight for, you know, seven or eight. It just seems like we've had one rough inning um, in a lot of these SEC games that have cost us the game. I mean, all, all it takes is one bad inning, and you can't have that in baseball because, you know, you just one or two runs, that can beat you. So um, if we can just stay intense and focused this weekend, I think that Alabama can look for a series win against Ole Miss, and we're going to have huge crowds there. They're sold out. So I'm really excited about that. We are, too, and I'm going to be there. I was telling Roy earlier today at lunch, I'm going to be there uh, as soon as I can get over there after A-Day. Saturday, I'm coming straight over to the baseball stadium. And uh, we got time for one more question. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, your son, the center fielder, Georgia Salem, has been able to raise his batting average 30-something points. And uh, whatever he's doing now is working. He's knocking in runs. He's getting on base. He's stealing bases. He's scoring runs. What adjustments has he made in these last couple of weeks to get his average up, Paige? Um, I, I really, honestly, I'm not sure what he's done. I, I think it, it's a matter of a couple of little tweaks. I think it was something fairly elementary that needed needed working on. And um, you know, Georgie's one of Georgie's biggest problems is his his major. He's a dual business major, and He's graduating in May, and he doesn't have a, a tremendous amount of extra time to go stand in the batting cage and hit like, you know, he probably needs to be doing. And I think it's reflected in, in his batting average, although I am glad to see it coming up. I, he's just been he's been working a little bit extra um, in the batting cages, but, but really and truly, I, I just think that uh, – Georgie's always had a better second half of the season at bat since he was a freshman, always. It's like he comes out kind of strong for a few games, and then he sort of, um, you know, 
takes it takes a bit of a going into a valley, you know, and then the second half of the season he he usually comes on pretty strong. I just talked to him as a matter of fact and um I he he said he was feeling really good about swinging the bat this weekend. So I hope that that, that um happens for him. You know, there's nothing worse than than watching your child no matter how old they are uh have to go through something as hard as as um as not being able to hit the ball on national television is I mean, I know there are things that are far worse, but it's tough and then he has so many people texting him, calling him, you know, wanting to tell him what he's doing wrong, what he needs to be doing, to a point where it gets kinda of ridiculous, all the all the people that think they've got the answer. And really it's just Georgie has to get his mind cleared and just get up there and think that it doesn't matter what pitch they throw me, I'm going to hit it, I can hit it, and then just hit it. You know, in the course of a weekend, a hitter might see one pitch that's the perfect pitch for them. So you can't just continually wait on that one perfect pitch to come. You've got to just take advantage of, of whatever feels right and just let your natural instincts take over to me because he's definitely got what it takes to, to um, hit the ball. And I, I don't know. I think he's he's working through that, and, and I, I think he's going to have a good weekend. That's what my hope is for him. He said he feels really good, so um, hopefully that's a good sign. I think so. And uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight on the Asian Rim Hotline, and we appreciate everything you do for BAMS Radio. The food is so great at Asian Rim. Everybody go to AsianRealm.com and check out that menu and that number to call for reservations. Uh, thank you so much again for joining us, Paige, and good night. Oh, and you're welcome. Time. You're welcome. Roll tight. That was Paige Talkman, owner of Asian Rim, sponsor of Asian Rim Hotline, mom of Centerfield, Georgie Salem. Uh, that's going to do it for another edition of BAMS Radio. We want to thank William Redfish Barger, uh, Paige Hockman, Coach Q, uh, Doug from Oxford, and Colin Big C. McGuire. So for Drew Diarma of ESPN 977 The Zone, for Thomas Watts of Touchdown Magazine, I'm Kerry Clark from BamaMag.com, wishing you good night, roll tide, and thanks for listening to BAM Radio.